Four Degrees to the Streets is designed to empower anyone curious about places and spaces, not just persons with professional degrees or backgrounds. Here we will cover a host of topics, including transportation, health, housing, and the environment through the lens of racism, classism, and sexism, and give listeners the tools they need to overcome institutional barriers. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the number four degrees pod and tune in every other Tuesday where Nemo and Jazz keep it four degrees to the streets. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the four degrees to the streets podcast. You're listening to season two, episode nine, and we are in the early weeks of March, which is Women's History Month. Um, and we're excited to have a few guests on our episode today. Um, but before we get into that, Jasmine, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I am so excited for the weather to be warming up, for the sun to be out longer. It's just spring has sprung and I'm, I'm just pl- I'm just dainty. How are you, Nemo? I'm well. Um, it's by no mistake that we take off the warmer months of the year. We do the podcast. It's our, it's our hobby in the cold months. It keeps us busy. But when the spring comes, we're outside. It's like we go to every other week meetings. <laughs> so um, I'm looking forward to that. But it's been a fun season. Um, and uh, in terms of our episode today, this is a topic that's been near and dear to Jasmine and I's hearts throughout the podcast. And it comes up a lot in a lot of the episodes that we do, but specifically relating to women and people who identify as women and their perception of safety in public space, some of the challenges that come with that, um, some of the needs that can that can that can take place to make women feel more comfortable, whether that's through design or infrastructure, um, and basically seeing that it is not a one size fits all. Um, infrastructure is not gender neutral. And as this podcast talks about planning topics, we wanted to explore how planning can be sensitive to this. Thanks, Nemo, for providing that context. So just to kind of drill down on some high-level data pieces relating to women's experience in public space, we did a couple research items um, for various studies that were nationwide studies that looked at women's experience. And so we found some research that showed that crime is a very strong influencer of people's willingness to bike or walk to certain destinations as for both women and men. And so a slight increase in um, interpersonal crime can significantly reduce bicycle and pedestrian trips. The research found by about 17%. Um, And then I can also reduce those trips even more by non-work trips. So those recreational trips of walking and biking, those reduced by about 61%. However, that's for the nation overall. When we look at the differences between men and women, we find that women are more likely to make that shift back to driving or to getting dropped off to a destination as opposed to walking or biking when they realize an increase in crime in their area. The other study we found was really shocking to me. It was a study of 2,000 people, 1,000 men and 1,000 women. And it found that 67% of the women experienced some form of street harassment in their lifetime. And so those examples of street harassment, including whistling, men saying baby or mommy or sexy to them on the street, someone talking about a woman's body part inappropriately, or someone purposely touching or brushing against the body of a woman. And so 
over a majority of the women in that study experienced some form of harassment just existing in public space. And so that led us to really want to have an episode where we focused on the female experience. We wanted to bring in professionals and um, think about how we all exist in this space. Yeah. And Jasmine, those data points are just, I instantly think about how when I'm walking or in public space with a man, the routes that they choose. And I'm like, I'm only taking this route because I'm with you. Like I would not go down this alley or cut this corner by myself. Um, and, but should it be that way? Like, should I have to feel that way that I can only operate in the public domain when I'm accompanied by a man and wanting to feel safe, whether I'm by myself or with somebody else too? So without further ado, we want to hear the experiences from our guests today. We're joined by Melanie Brooks and Tabia Gamble. And we have a few questions. Um, where are you from? What city and state do you live in? Where do you do for work? Um, where do you live now? And what is your most common mode of transportation? And we can go ahead and start with Melanie. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the invite to participate in your podcast. So my name is Melanie Brooks, and I am from Oakland, California, and I work with a um, local government. I currently, my most common mode of transportation is um, car. My, I drive 90% of the time. I definitely commute to work um, via car. Hello, ladies. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today and kind of talking about women and public safe um, and public safety. Um, I am from upstate New York, so right outside of Albany um, and kind of a small, I'm on the cusp of suburban and kind of city life. Um, I currently work as a transportation planner. Um, I'm on the public sector. I'm in the private sector, but I do a lot of work for the public sector currently. Um, I kind of focus in bus transportation right now. Um, and I'm currently living in Baltimore. Um, my most common mode of transportation is going to be split between probably a car um, and now it's the bus. It previously was car and light rail. So I usually take public transportation to work. Um, and then a lot of other places that I'm going, I use a car. Tommy, when you say use a car, are you ride sharing or driving your own personal vehicle? I typically drive my own vehicle. Um, on the weekends, I will kind of ride share Uber, Lyft a lot more often. But during the week, it's it's usually a personal vehicle. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. So we're just going to run through a quick set of um, some urban planning terms that we'll be using throughout this conversation. And so Nemo and I will tag team these um, definitions. So we're going to be referring to the public space or the public realm pretty often. And so this is defined as any space that is open and available to the public. It's typically but not exclusively outdoors. Examples of public space include streets, roads, parks, plaza, beaches. Some form of the public realm may be owned or operated by private entities, such as parking lots or parking garages, college campuses, indoor and outdoor spaces near restaurants and apartments and sporting stadiums. So any kind of space in which there may or may not be a large gathering of people, we can consider that to be public space or the public realm. So that, that space between the inside of a private building and the next private building is kind of considered the public realm. How would we define urban design emo. Yeah, so urban design is the way that buildings, streets, parks, trees are designed in a space. So a lot of times we refer to the built environment 
the built environment didn't just come. That's like the natural environment. The built environment had to be designed. Um, and it is an entire profession and study. Um, and it organizes the elements of the environment to create spaces. Um, what we consider to be good urban design um, present day, can't say this was always the case, is things that are seen as walkable, things that are um, seen as accessible to people regardless of a physical ability. Um, and bad urban design is things that are considered to be unsafe or inaccessible, um, depending on age, physical ability, um, race, limitation, and things that are, you know, may attract crime. Another definition is land use. It's strongly related to urban design. It's the character characterization of land based on what can be built on it legally and what the land can be used for. The most common forms of land use are recreational, transportation, agricultural, residential, and commercial. Um, a simple way to think Land use is not exactly zoning, but zoning plays a big role in land use. So how the land is legally zoned often determines its, its land use. And then the last term that we wanted to talk about, and we kind of got a primer um, when we heard from Melanie and Tabia about their what they how they travel most of the time, is travel behavior, and that refers to the complex and sometimes complicated decision making process of travelers during a trip regarding their travel mode choice. So, what method of transportation that they're using, whether that's bus, driving, walking, riding a bike, route choice, how they choose to get from A to B, what time they depart what time they may want to arrive, and also the choices that they go to in terms of their destination. Um, and so we wanted to give a few scenarios on when you may kind of put all these things together, when you're thinking about the public space, when you're thinking about urban design, when you're thinking about your travel behaviors. So first, on a typical Saturday afternoon, how do you engage in public spaces? I'm a runner, uh, so I will say not in the winter am I running on a Saturday afternoon, but during the summer when it's nice, um, I like to run outside. I like to run in trails um, because one, typically it's shaded, um, and a lot of times the trails will tend to be a lot smoother than running on the roadways, um, but I often have to think about like, how late is it that I'm running on the trail or, you know, how crowded, especially now during COVID, it's like, well, how crowded is the trail going to be? Um, but that's a lot of what I'm doing on a Saturday and or driving to a store. <laughs> um, for me, pre-pandemic, um, if I wanted to spend an afternoon shopping in San Francisco, that's when I didn't mind hopping on our transit system to just take the train over because it's literally um, one stop over. It's very convenient. But my behavior has changed since the pandemic where I just feel safer in my car. But Pre-pandemic, I wouldn't mind hopping on a train to go to various locations if it was um, accessible. And especially on the train, um, some exits, you may not even have to go outside because the transit goes right into the um, shopping center. So you could shop at various stores without ever um, going outside. So that was um, very convenient. And at one time, I thought it was very safe. Pre-COVID, you were more open to using public transportation. I'm curious um, if that was from like a personal physical safety or in terms of public health. Like I know, you know, not all cities are equal in terms of what things they enforce on public transportation, whether that's wearing a mask. I was just curious what, what the reasoning was. Um, one of the reasons, this may sound odd, but with less people, I felt more vulnerable. Um, you know, usually if it's like a crowded train, 
on the train, you may have um, people who are commuting to work. You may have students that are um, going to school or even people who are attending a, a sports game. And so I felt more safe in numbers. And since the pandemic, um, the amount of riders on our train severely decreased. And so now I felt a little bit more vulnerable because it's only maybe I could see that homeless man that just wants to get away from the elements on the train. And it's not like he's going to do something to me, but he, he stands out a little bit more. And I just feel a little bit more vulnerable um, to people that may ride the system for other reasons. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, we haven't done our transit episode in depth yet, but a lot of the data has shown that transit agencies, whether it's their bus ridership or their uh, train train vehicle ridership, had declined significantly during the pandemic because people were shifting um, to other modes of transportation or not traveling at all. And I, I completely agree. Like, I haven't... Um, when I go into New York now, I used to take the train and take the subway and it was very convenient and comfortable for me, but the similar experience that now I might be the only person on the train, even in even in a busy area like downtown or something. And so it, it does make you a little more vulnerable because there's less bystanders in the event that something might happen. For me, I face that same thing of, so I take public transit to work usually. And if I ever have to stay late, I am much more cognizant now of like, maybe I should just Uber home um, because it's late and waiting at the, you know, waiting at the stop, whether it's for the bus or the light rail um, has become much more, it's made me like look over my shoulder a lot more than I ever felt like I was for that same reason of just, there's less people. Thank you for bringing up um, the differences in how you would travel um, if you're getting off work at a normal time or if you're getting off work at a later hour because it does significantly make a difference. That gets us to our second scenario is that, that similar after work context. So assume that you are planning to meet a friend after work for dinner. Um, what do you consider as you're planning your trip to the restaurant and then to home? And then how do you consider your day before you even leave your home in the morning? Um, so for me, if I'm planning an outing to go to dinner after work with my girlfriends, um, only because I don't know if you guys are familiar with the smash and grab, but that crime activity has drastically increased during the pandemic where someone will approach someone's vehicle, just smash the back of their window and grab any contents, whether they're valuable or not. So now when I meet my girlfriends, we actually... I, I park at my mom's house and we may meet there together and then lift, even though it's probably more convenient to try to find a parking space in the vicinity of the restaurant. But because of this um, increase in crime activity um, and actually I've actually even witnessed a smash and grab, um, I opt to live there and park in my own res a residential area that I'm familiar with where I feel like my property won't be subjected um, and vandalized or just the inconvenience of having to replace a window because I do make sure for the most part, I don't leave valuables in my car, but unfortunately it doesn't even matter what you may have in your car. Your car may actually be empty and they're still may attempt to break your window to see if you have anything. So that, that has changed the way my girlfriends and I gather 
Um, and we do take ride sharing much more frequently just to go downtown because we want to protect our, our vehicle, our property. Is that something that is new to the pandemic? I would say it has drastically increased since the pandemic. Um, we were aware of it before. For example, you know, whenever you see broken glass on a street, you can make a safe assumption that someone's car window was um, broken. But now you could go to almost any parking lot, any part, part of the street and see glass. I actually had a birthday party um, uh, pre-pandemic. So it was happening pre-pandemic as well. And unfortunately, about 10 of my guests had to deal with someone breaking their window um, to steal something out of their car. So it definitely was occurring pre-pandemic because that was 2019, but it has drastically increased since then. I think for me, the things that I consider are, I mean, my two primary modes of transportation are either public transit or driving. Um, living in the city, it's always like, if I drive, I'm going to have to deal with parking. So either I'm going to have to fight for street parking or end up parking really far from my destination. Um, or I'm going to take public transit. And then, then now I'm like routing it like, okay, well, how far is the closest stop? Because it may be fine when I'm walking there from the closest stop, but then getting home if it's dark. Um, so I think a lot of times I end up either driving or I will end up um, just for the reason of like, well, at least I know exactly where my car is and I can try to get as close as I can and walk. Um, or I'll end up taking kind of like an Uber or Lyft for the same reason of, I know that my car is safe. I know I won't end up having to walk outside by myself um, and I'll kind of get picked up right in front of my house and I'll get dropped off at the location, um, especially being in a city that I'm not super familiar. There's at home, I'm a little bit more apt to like from where I'm from to maybe, okay, I can walk because I kind of know the environment. I know what's around. Um, but for me walking at night, it's like, well, is it super well lit? What's going to be around me? What kind of people does that area you know, bring at night? And so those are a lot of my concerns that Lyft and Uber, although they're more expensive, they kind of take away some of those concerns for me at least. Can I piggyback on that? Actually, um, in October, my girlfriend and I, um, like I said, we, we parked our car at um, a residential area where we, we lived and we took a lift um, to go out and we actually, you know, ended up closer to the house because we were bar hopping. It was like um, an event that where, you know, you could bar hop and everything and go to different lounges. And then we end up walking back home. And what was interesting is I felt I had a higher regard for protecting my car, but I felt safe, safer actually walking than parking my car in certain areas. And I know that may sound odd, but um, when I reflect back on it, yeah, because when we were, it was um, first Fridays and we're walking and we're other people out enjoying festivities and we ended up at a lounge and we ended up closer to um, the car, we walked back. But when I think back in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the safest thing to do. But like you said, when you feel comfortable in certain areas, you know, and we're familiar with the area, we opted to um, walk back and I didn't even... Um, think of um, being harmed, I did feel pretty safe and secure. But my car didn't seem safe and secure to drive it down there though. 
that's interesting because it's two two levels to that. It's one, it's your personal safety, right? Is my body going to be safe commuting through this space or navigating through this space? And then there's the, the personal property concern also, right? Is, is my vehicle going to be safe? If you bike, is my bike going to be safe in this place? And so those are two sides to a different coin um, of, this, of the safety consideration. So it's interesting. I feel like the common thread for me and I, that I didn't know we would get from talking about these scenarios is that having a social life and being safe is expensive, <laughs> but like you can't, there's nods happening. Like you can't do, it's like, can you do both? I know I'm always ready. Like I am the train and the train is me. If it is a quick walk from, and I, thankfully I live near a Metro stop on a, a few different lines. So most places I can usually take the train to but I always have to think, even just tonight when I was coming back from work, all of the lights were out and I'm like, what is happening? And luckily it was kind of around the work hours. So people were still walking. Um, but I'm like, who do I even call? Cause I think it was still Metro property, but, um, yeah, it was just concerning. Even I think about the parking situation too, um, that you all talked about. I know sometimes even if I have to park, I know I'm not going to find a, a parking spot close to my destination. That's still a journey I have to make from my car to the restaurant or location that could be through a residential area. That's usually quiet, even if you're approaching a busy street. Um, and another reason why I will just opt to Uber probably to avoid that journey from the parking. Or the idea of like paying for a parking garage. Cause it's like, Oh, you know what? Like going to cost me $25, but the parking garage is literally one block away and I can see the lights um, versus trying to find that street parking. Because like you said, when I'm with men, they'll just, oh, we can walk or like, this is fine. It's fine five blocks away. And I'm like, it's dark and there's no light. Like what? And you know, for me, I avoid parking garages. I would rather at nighttime park further on a street and walk then because a parking garage to me feels like enclosed, like it feels like I can't, if something is happening, I can't exit fast enough. But if I'm on the street, you know, I'm hoping that if I'm screaming loud enough or I'm banging on people's doors, like someone will come. But in a parking garage, it feels, so if at nighttime, I try to avoid parking garages, um, unless it's one where they're going to like valet the car back up to the front. But if I have to go into it, it makes me very weary at nighttime. I actually changed my work um, parking garage um, because it actually has security. Um, so security guards are walking around making sure that you're safe. The parking garage I used to utilize, um, we had two young ladies that said that it was the man in there um, that I work with. And they were like, it was this man in there. They didn't know what he was doing. They felt very uncomfortable. And he was walking around on different levels. And um, when you talk about that female tax, I'd rather just pay more to park somewhere. This is daytime to work and know that I'm safe or someone could hear me or see me or they have cameras versus um, a cheaper garage a little further out. And you have these um, suspicious people walking from level to level and you really don't know their intent. And actually that garage didn't even have an attendant, let alone security. So for those reasons, I pay a little bit more to park in a garage closer to my job that offers security and has cameras. Yeah, thank you all for sharing those experiences. I think this is definitely, this is the part of the podcast where it gets real, where it gets really real. 
Um, and it's hard to think about and the experiences are real that that we encounter. Um, so on a somewhat lighter note, um, what are some places in your community that you enjoy? Um, and then similarly to what we were discussing, what are also places that you avoid? And what would you say causes some of those feelings? Well, one of the places um, we have a lake, it's called Lake Merritt, and I enjoy um, walking the lake. It can provide entertainment. Someone may be drumming, um, exercise. So um, my girlfriend and I, during the pandemic, we were meeting there every week and people were roller skating. Um, like I said, dr drumming, people had food trucks. So as you walk around the lake, you may see a variety of different things. Unfortunately, I stopped walking the lake because that is where I saw the smash and grab. And that is also where I noticed that I had a nick in my window. And my assumption is they attempted to also smash my windows. So a place that I actually enjoy spending a sunny afternoon, um, getting exercise, I now avoid because of damage to, potential damage to my property. But as far as being out in the sun and getting a chance to see all type of different people, vendors are out there. So now if I go to that location, I just have to um, either get dropped off, use a ride share service, or um, see if one of my girlfriends will be willing to subject their car to damage. I think for me, similar to what I was talking about, so I like to run, especially when the weather is nice. So I really enjoy kind of going to different trails around. Um, there's one trail in particular that was really close to where I was living and I liked it because it gave me the trail feel so there was trees and the path was really nice but it was also really open so there was um a farm where there was a lot of horses um so I some I felt like I could run even if it was becoming dusk I could kind of run there and feel okay because it was open enough there was enough kind of people around that I wasn't nervous or scared that you know something was going to happen and it was also really really well lit um even at night. And so that was always a bonus and somewhere that I like to go, um, especially in the when the seasons are changing. Thank you for sharing those spaces. It's interesting that um, they both were outdoor spaces. Um, are there any places that you avoid? I know we talked about parking garages just kind of broadly. Emma, you talked about a particular park that because of the um, damage to personal property you avoid? Are there other spaces in your community that cause you to feel unsafe or uncomfortable? I'll share my example as I let the guest ponder. For me, I really, like I said, I avoid parking garages, but I also avoid um, public transit stations that um, the platform is not secure so I'm going to elaborate to say if the platform is easily assessed by like you can like hop the turnstile and things like that I avoid those platforms so when I lived um, in Atlanta a lot of the stations outside of the downtown area had platforms like that where someone could just easily hop over um, the turnstile because usually it's like bars and if those are missing that made me feel unsafe because it means that a lot of people would be kind of sleeping in the station um and in Atlanta the stations are sprawling and so there could it could be like 
a living room size space where it would be a large group of people sleeping so I'd have to walk through there and that made me feel super uncomfortable and so I would plan my trip so if I knew that I had and I didn't have a car at the time so if I knew that I had to get somewhere that was at a stop that a station was like that I would either get off at a stop before and, and lift the rest of the way or get off at the stop before and if there was a bicycle lane I knew there was a bicycle lane I would ride the city bike and now because I'm a planner I look at maps all day and like I have a good understanding of the geography of a city and like what amenities are available but that's the level of detail I don't think most people are are capable of of doing on a a daily basis and it was daunting like it's a daunting task to do funny that you mentioned maps because I was thinking some of the places I avoid is basically like anywhere I don't I'm not familiar with if I had never been there or if it's not a place I go often um and another area especially at night is residential areas but even some areas during some residential areas during the day um, especially during COVID, there are certain there are certain paths I know that I walk around my neighborhood where I get catcalled more, where I get harassed, where I get people literally stopping their car and rolling down their windows, and some actually stopping their actual car and walking outside of their car. That I'm like, I can't walk there anymore. Um, so unfortunately, some of these traumatic experiences have happened in residential areas where there are not a lot of people around. Um, but I feel like a busy street, the straight north, south, east, west, I can usually feel more comfortable when there are stores and people around? I actually avoid buses and I'm gonna have to um, have a disclaimer. I actually have free, um, through my job, I could ride any bus in my county for free. And so I have an option to hop on a bus at any point in time for free to get to point A and point B. And I avoid them. I think one of the reasons why I avoid them is because I feel like I'm in a confined space. So if something does transpire that makes me uncomfortable, I'm confined versus I'd rather walk. You know, I may have to start running if something happens, but I'd rather walk where I feel a, a different level of freedom and I don't feel that level of confinement. So, um, yes, I actually avoid buses because of the confinement and feeling more vulnerable. I was going to say similar to that. I know like at night um, and what you were saying, Jasmine, about like certain transit stops. So I know here the light rail, a lot of the stops are just, they're open platform. Um, And so one stop that I'd have to get off at often, it's behind a trail. So it's the the light rail stop and then there's a trail and then there's the street. Um, And so I tried to avoid, again, if I knew that I was getting home really late and it was already dark, I would just Uber home rather than, um, you know, and it's it's a place that people, it's often not a lot of people that may be convening there, but there may be people there um, that are suffering, they have different issues. And so I just did, if I did have to drive, if I did have to stop there on the transit stop and walk home, I would always make sure that I called somebody like, hey, I'm walking home, just stay on the phone with me, um, walking through the trail at night. Um, and then similar to you, Nemo, is like there are, if I'm unfamiliar with a place, I'm more weary of going. So I typically won't take transit to an area or a place the first time I go. Um, only because I know that if I take a bus, I may have to walk there. And if I'm not really familiar, that makes me uncomfortable. Whereas I feel like in my car, I have a little bit more control. Again, I can either choose to maybe 
pay for parking that it may be more expensive, but I know like, all right, but I can figure out my surroundings or if I need to get on the go quickly, I can hop in my car and go. I don't have to wait for a bus or a train. Um, so I will try to avoid places that I'm not super familiar with unless I have my car, um, which to your point, Nemo, sometimes that like stops the fun of like social outings, right? Because you want to be able to do stuff and go different places, but it's like, oh, how comfortable do I feel? So I think a theme that just appeared um, was a level of confinement and access, right? So Mel is saying um, avoiding the bus because you're in a confined vehicle or like in a train, you could walk in between the car if you, if you needed to. And then Tabia is saying, I'm avoiding this light rail station because I'm more exposed, right? So if I'm at the platform, there's the trail and then the street. And so now I'm, 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 there's, there's, too much openness there's not enough, enough confinement and I'm thinking of the same thing um and Nemo is thinking of comfort right so there's comfort and confinement and how those two things work together in c- cultivating public spaces that women um feel comfortable in I'm just gonna bring up one element that hasn't been discussed but I know is talked about in larger literature are there any considerations about and Nemo, you might have touched on this your race or your class or um your family structure as you exist in in spaces i definitely have those considerations so when riding transit i typically don't think of those considerations and that's probably because i feel like as a black woman a lot of like people of other races will automatically assume oh she probably can't afford a car or whatever the case may be so i don't feel as like out there and open um but when going to a new area i'm always weary of running outside um because i'm just just like i don't know who's around i don't know who's gonna be around if they do i belong in their area if it's a new area that i haven't um been in i know where i was living previously was predominantly white and i mean very clear signs that they may not accept someone, a woman of color. Um, and so it's like, mm, maybe I won't run down that dead end street. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll stay closer to the, either on the trail or on, on a more of a main street. Um, so definitely I have that concern when running, but less so when I'm on transit. Well, for me, I live in a really um, diverse um, community. So I feel like wherever I go, I'm supposed to be there and um, and I haven't really given that any thought, but to your point, it's not like I'm jogging or running in certain spaces. Um, a lot of other spaces I may venture out to where maybe the population is less diverse. Um, I feel like I belong there too. So I go and I hold my head up high and I don't think twice about it actually. Um, and a lot of that entails shopping or dining out. And so I feel like um, I'm a consumer in those spaces and I have every right to um, be in this, these spaces as well. So I haven't really given it much thought, but I will start paying attention um, and see if I feel differently moving forward. But currently, no problems. Uh, I think um, kind of what Tabia was saying of like the demographic of where you live. I also live in an area that is pretty diverse and um mostly like my specific like maybe zip code or just like a few blocks outside of that um is mostly black a lot of families who have lived in their homes for a long period of time um so that was a lot of what i would see when i would take walks 
Um, and that made me feel safer. But I know when I've gone to other neighborhoods across the US where I do not live there and the people do not look like me, my chest is beating like I'm nervous. Um, and I almost feel like I don't even have the right to be outside. Um, and uh, it's like the, we could do a whole another episode on racial, um, racial residential segregation um, and how the, all of that plays into it. Um, but yeah, I think that sense of safety is heightened um, when I factor in my race. I did a lot of street justice <laughs> internships where I would be like out in various communities and taking pictures and surveying people and all types of things. And so I noticed like as a black woman, when I go into spaces that are predominantly black or, or Hispanic Latino, they're, the men have a like they're more comfortable around me because I am uh, of color. And so I noticed there is more catcalling and more um, street harassment than when I traverse through um, less diverse communities. And so that's just an interesting piece. I think one of our guests um, last season had a similar kind of conversation. It's just interesting. And it brings up a dynamic of like, policing and things like that because I I'm not going to avoid those spaces right because those are my people so like I'm going to go but it is interesting to me that like that is when I experience the most um like no one's ever like physically on me but I do hear more things when I'm in those spaces than when I'm in other spaces um and that's just interesting to me as in terms of my 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 race I would 100, to piggyback off that, I would 100% agree in spaces where people look like me. I feel like I'm catcalled more and it's a, it's a walking a tightrope for me because while I do feel like I'm catcalled more, maybe like, again, not that I've been ever like attacked or touched or anything like that, but they, I do hear more comments, but I also feel safer. Like if something was to happen to me, in front of people, I think that in those spaces, I would be protected much more quickly um, than if I was in a space where people didn't look like me. Um, so it's walking a tightrope of like, you don't hear comments, but like, will I get helped? <laughs> um, yeah, so for this um, next section, and thank you for, for sharing all of that and that conversation. And we hope that some of these examples I will provide in terms of design recommendations, for folks who are listening um, can shed some light on how these situations can be improved or limited in the future and how we think about infrastructure and public space. Um, and so one of the resources that'll be in the show notes um, is a book titled Feminist City by Leslie Kern. And she really takes planning and what it means to be a woman, a woman and how infrastructure is designed truly historically with men in mind. Um, and thinking about transportation and how people move. Um, and uh, one of the examples that she pulls from and the research shows that women's journeys are not linear. We have, as we just talked about, kind of our aspects of having a social life, but we have multiple stops. Um, it may also include household elements um, and taking trips for other people in our household um, and how we utilize public transit or when we have to walk and when we have to use our private vehicle. Um, and so from that, one of the recommendations she had was mixed use environments, 
um, which would increase the likelihood that there are people around. So in terms of mixed use, this goes back to how we were defining land use. And I mentioned not feeling safe in residential areas. Well, those areas are zoned as, as solely residential. So there's not going to be a grocery store that's open till midnight. There's not going to be a shopping plaza that may still have, you know, people maybe coming out of a movie theater late at night. Um, but when you mix different things in an environment, it gives businesses different times of day and allows people to feel that sense of safety, regardless of what time of day they're making a trip. Thanks, Nemo, for bringing up that design consideration. I think we can go through infrastructure pieces back and forth, and a lot of our same kind, same infrastructure items that we discussed in our aging in place episode around lighting and benches and um, curb cuts and ramps are all very also very essential to women but we mentioned a point earlier in the episode the infrastructure is not gender neutral right and so the presence of a protected bike lane, for example, research shows that women are more comfortable riding in a protected bike lane. That's a bike lane where there's like a physical barrier between the driver and uh, a cyclist. So I might like have a concrete um, barrier in between them. And those are all wonderful things and they should be implemented. But the implementation of them with lighting and green space and benches does not stop a lot of those other social pieces that we talked about in the episode. It doesn't prevent someone from stopping their car and trying to get your attention or ask you for your phone number while you're in the protected bike lane. It doesn't stop someone from you're going to a beautiful park with the beautiful lake and, and all the street vendors and the musicians and you're enjoying your physical activity, but you have to be worried about someone breaking into your car. And so there's, we exist in like a social construct in which urban design and the built environment are a part of, but those social and societal pieces, um, classism, sexism, racism, ageism are all hovering over the built environment. And so it's important that as, right, so thinking about what planners can do, we can do all of those design pieces, but I think it's up to our policymakers and um, maybe our, our more social uh, oriented folks to think through what kind of solutions can be done to address those factors. And then just people individually gets down to individual behaviors of like, just don't be that guy. <laughs> like really just don't be that guy. Um, but I just wanted to, to highlight that as well. And I think something that we've talked about in past episodes is how long infrastructure remains in our public space. So it's really important how it shapes the built environment and then also looking at the people side of it, okay, well, who is designing it? Who is being brought to the table? What voices are heard when these choices are made? Um, and that's another thing that the book Feminist City mentions. Um, but we'll also have in our show notes um, additional resources, a lot of them from United Nations, um, United Nations Women and United Nations Office of um, Project Services. They have a lot of resources that you can really implement into real-time projects. Um, about how to make gender equality mainstream in infrastructure um, and how to, and how tr also trainings to help practitioners identify real world actions that they can use to promote gender equality. Um, and even just look similar to how we think about racial equality and racial equity, it shouldn't just be a lens. The training shouldn't just be seen as a one-time use to give people a baseline on how they can plan to 
consider the needs of women, but it should just be how we think moving forward. It's not an intro to just use one time, but it's something that should be seen in how the city works so that it serves the most people as possible. Yeah. So before we close out, um, we'd like to hear from everyone kind of what some of their takeaways were from the episode. We talked about a lot of things. I think one of the things that I've gotten a takeaway is like safety and the perception of safety is very, you know, that it's different for everyone. Um, but even like amongst women and all women of color, like it's very different. Um, Jasmine, you brought up the, the point of parking garages in a way that I've never thought about parking garages. I've always in my head felt like it's closest to my destination. Um, but you've just given me like another aspect to think about, which is a woman that's important. Um, and especially if you're traveling alone or, or what may have you, um, but also that there is some solace, that there's places that we can go and there's ways that we can um, still make ourselves, Melanie, to like what you said, like I belong here, you know, and I deserve to be here and I deserve to be in this space um, and that we all do, we deserve to be in these spaces. And so continuing to think of ways that we can make public space and the public realm safe for even the most vulnerable populations. Um, has given me lots of things to continue to think about in my work. That's awesome. So I am, um, I'm a seasoned woman, so I'm a little older um, and I have a young daughter. And so listening to this conversation, how I maneuver as being 52 versus my daughter being 21 is different. And I appreciate um, you guys discussing this topic and trying to make these public spaces safer because I feel like I could defend myself. I feel like, you know, I've been subjected to certain things and I know how to maneuver in certain spaces. Howsoever, I feel like that doesn't mean that we cannot improve um, public spaces for all of us to feel safe especially um, younger women or people who may just not, who may not want to fight or ignore whatever is going out there, you know, um, and standing their ground. So I appreciate all your guys' conversation and listening to um, ways that safety can be improved in public spaces, particularly for other women. and younger women. So thank you for the opportunity to share my personal experiences. And I look forward to seeing some improvement in um, these areas. So I can't knuck or buck, but I, <laughs> I appreciate that, that that is an option too. I had one more thought too. I think in talking about how like COVID has changed some of our behavior, um, I think that we're at a cool time to make some other like drastic changes Um, because like what would one more shift in our life be after the last couple of years? Um, So I think that's also an exciting time. That's something else that I kind of have taken away. The bigger takeaway for me is the expense. Nemo, I really didn't realize or consider how expensive it was to consider your personal safety. Um, And so as someone that Uh, is in the field even though I don't work necessarily in um, the transportation element of it which is like what a lot of our conversation was about there are definitely ways in which I can use my leverage um, 
my privilege to influence the built environment and to really, really consider the needs of women in, in designing um, spaces. And so I know that that's a chart that I've been working on and I'll just continue to do so um, and, and really now think through the balance of personal safety, safety of your property, and then the, the expense that we're um, including on that. Yeah, I really echo what everyone said. Um, it's, it, I think it's using, it's because when you think about all those things that Jasmine just mentioned, it's actually upsetting. And it's like a really heavy weight to load. And I'm also really inspired by this conversation and think of how I can center this in the work that I do. Um, and it makes me want to drive that change. Um, but it's knowing and preparing that it's going to be a long, that it's going to be a long fight. Um, and I hope that this episode can also serve as a reminder to listeners to, to center the causes that are important to you, not just during Women's History Month, but every month, um, but that this conversation can hopefully be um, inspiring to continue to do that. Um, and with that, I want to just thank our guests so much for their time, Tabia and Melanie. Um, thank you so much for your contributions. And we're truly, truly thankful to have you on tonight. Um, we drop episodes every other Tuesday. After this, we just got one more Tuesday <laughs> and then we're going to go on our break. Um, but you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the four degrees pod. Peace out, y'all.